Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. I've uh, never considered myself to be an easily offended person. That is, unless you say something that I disagree with, uh, then I am. No, um, I, I, I try not to be a really easily offended person. I know uh, a marker for my generation is that we often can take offense at anything. I try to exude some patience and grace in my life so that I'm not just triggered about everything I hear or people say or whatever they do or whatever. That being said, I'm certainly not perfect in that, and I know for myself, and probably for most of us, we have those things that people can say or do, certain ways that people might act that are those triggers for us. You know, they just kind of grind our gears, ignite that fire inside, set us off. Um, I want to share with you one of mine this morning, and this is, um, I don't want to make it sound like I like lash out violently when I hear this, but there's a statement that I've heard a lot in my life. I've heard a lot of people say it inside the church, outside the church. And it's a statement that I really struggle with and that it's just frustrating when I hear it. And that statement is this. Maybe you've heard it. People never change. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've believed that. For me, in a lot of ways, I'd probably say I have bought into that mentality in my life. See, people say people never change. People can't change. People don't really change. The way they are, that's the way they'll always be. That's kind of the course they'll live for most of their lives. Now, the thing about this statement is it's like largely true in that a lot of people, the way they're living their life is the way they continue to live their life in the long term. But I think that this type of mentality, this kind of mantra, this way of looking at people, people never change, is such a hopeless, pessimistic view to take of God's great creation. He loves us. And this, to, to me, this is such a brutal kind of mentality or mantra to live your life with, to look at people in this way. At FBC, our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That means that people can not only meet Jesus, but they can grow in that relationship. They can change. It's a transformative, revolutionary, life-changing experience. We believe that life change is possible and that it is probable when you experience the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ. I want to share with you three reasons why I can't stand this mentality, this statement of people never change, or people can't change, or people don't change, or whatever. The first reason is, kind of right into our context now, this statement, this idea is so contrary to this series that we're currently doing. This series, it's personal. You know, as you, if you've been here over the past few weeks, hopefully you have been, we've been asking these questions that people could ask you in understanding if you're being intentionally personal with people. People might say, do you know my name? Do you know where I'm coming from? Do you know what burdens me? Do you know kind of my story leading up until this point? Do you know who I am? Now, we want you to be able to say yes to those questions. We want you to be able to make it personal enough with people that you can say, yes, I know your name. I know where you're coming from. I know what's going on in your world. I know your narrative. I know what gives you energy, what frustrates you, what fuels you, what tanks you. And I know what's gone on in your life. I know what you've done. 
And, and we don't want you to just be able to say yes to that so that you can have friends and you can know people and people can think you're a nice person. No, we want you to be able to say yes to those so that ultimately you can say yes to what I believe is, you, you know, not the only question, but kind of the, the, the sum, the, the most important question, and that's today's question, is that, that question is, do you know what I can do? Now, a lot of times we answer those previous questions. Yes, I know you. I know what you're about. I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know what makes you tick. We answer those questions, and it arrives, we arrive at this negative kind of yes to this question. Yeah, I know what you can do. And it's easy for us to write people off to say, well, yeah, like, I know what you've done, so I know what you'll continue to do. People don't really change. I know your story. I know what you're like. I've heard from other people the type of person that you are. So yes, I know what you can do, and it's a negative thing. This morning, I want to invite you to understand that this series really leads up to this moment, this question, where we answer this question by saying, yes, I know what you can do, and not looking at that through the lens of our own negativity, of the gossip that we've heard, of the brokenness that we've seen in people's lives, but answer this question, yes, by looking at people through the lens of the gospel, by looking at people the way that the loving God who created them looks at them, by looking at them through the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. People never change is a mentality that totally under, these past four weeks are a waste of our time if we buy into that kind of a mentality, that kind of a picture of humanity. The second reason I don't like this uh, statement, people never change, is because I believe it completely contradicts and undermines the message of the gospel. Here at FBC, you'll hear us talk about the gospel a lot. The fact that Jesus Christ came and gave his life so that broken people could experience the transforming love and grace of Jesus Christ. This only makes sense if people are able to change. Jesus didn't just come and die and say, well, people will never change. I just did this for fun. Jesus came and gave his life under the premise that we can change, and through his grace and through his goodness, we can actually accomplish great things for him. I'll read to you from Ephesians 2. You've probably read this before. Paul's writing this letter, and he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we, all of us, were by nature deserving of wrath. This is what scripture teaches about the reality of our human condition, is that we're born into this sinful and broken way of life where we selfishly choose our transgressions and our sins and we turn from God. We live for our own cravings, our own desires. We're hedonists at heart and we choose our own path, even if it's destructive, even if it's contrary to what the loving God who created us created us for. We choose it and as a result, we're disobedient. We live for the cravings of our own flesh, and as a result, we're dead in our sins. We are spiritually dead, and we are deserving of wrath. This is a bleak picture. That's the bad news. Now, Paul doesn't continue here. I mean, you can see it's on the screen, but Paul doesn't continue here and say, well, people never change, so we're still there. Paul continues on with the good news. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Death to life, deserving of wrath, covered in grace. 
This is a huge transfer. This is, there, there is no change like this. Maybe you have friends on social media who've decided they're going to um, start, you know, eating better and working out and all that and kind of transforming their lives in that way. I try to do that sometimes. I just don't put it on social media because it's too disappointing down the road. But, you know, you see those people and they're like, here's me a year ago and then here's me now. And they like look different and they're just like, look at the transformation. And sometimes it's pretty striking. I mean, you can watch those like, those kind of like time lapse over a year videos of people losing like a million pounds. And it's like, whoa, that's crazy. That is nothing compared to what Paul is talking about here. I mean, there's no Instagram filter to capture the transformation that happens when someone moves from death to life, death to life, deserving of wrath richly rewarded by the grace of Jesus Christ. This is an incredible transformation. I am so glad that Jesus' mentality wasn't, oh, look at those sinful people. They can never change. They will never change. No, he, he believed in change being possible and he came down to earth and made himself like a servant and submitted himself to death, even death on a cross, and laid down his life for the sheer reason that he knew what we could do as a result of experiencing the gospel. The third reason that I really struggle with this mantra, people never change, um, is more of a deeply personal one. Now, I shared with you guys from my life kind of currently two weeks ago, something pretty deeply personal. This is going to be a share with you from my life. It's not quite maybe as personal or as hard to share. Um, But to me, this series, especially this week, is kind of everything in my spiritual journey. Because it, it, it's, it's, a re, it's as a result of people who answer this question, do you know what I can do with an emphatic yes that I am where I am at today? I do not believe that unless, without those people looking at me through the lens of God's grace and love and compassion and the gospel, that I would be where I'm at today. And I want to unpack that a little bit and share with you a really pivotal moment. So I'm going to share some context, this pivotal moment, and kind of what that's looked like for me. So a lot of you have been around for a while. You know a fair amount about my story. Um, And, um, you know, I'm going to tell it a little bit, fast forward version, and um, maybe you've heard bits, maybe there's some new info or whatever. But anyways, lots of you know that I was born at a very young age. And... um, so during the summer, we always teach our LITs their stories. I have to start with that. But it's true. Very young. I was born. And um, when I was born, my dad was a pastor, and I had a sister who was three years older than me. If you've been around church, you've maybe heard the stereotypes about pastors' kids. There are usually two stereotypes. One is that they're like perfect angels, just like immaculate, so well-behaved. And then the other stereotype is kind of exactly the opposite. It's like, oh, did like Lucifer come back? Did I birth the Antichrist? You know? And so... Um, my parents, three years before I was born, had a daughter and they named her Angel. So um, you can understand, what, guess which category she fell into. And they were blessed with one of each stereotype. So uh, here I came along. And so growing up, like in elementary, it wasn't that crazy. I mean, I, I lived my whole life so churched. I mean, we went to church. My dad was a pastor. Went to Christian school. I went to like all the stuff. Just if Jesus was there, we were there. You know, if he wasn't, no. And so, uh, grew up in elementary like this. And you know, I was largely kind of bored by it. But I, you know, just kind of went along with it. Was a decent, like kind of a just a pretty normal childhood in that regard. Uh, right before grade seven, we moved to Calgary from Red Deer, and um, I went to this new Christian school. I started this junior high there. 
And something really interesting happened. My parents didn't teach me this, but I had this weird view of God that I believed that if I stepped out of line, that he might just like strike me down right there. Like I had heard the Bible stories about like Ananias and Sapphira and Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood. And I was just like, man, you don't mess with this dude. And so up until that point, I was like, you just, you don't do bad stuff. Otherwise God's going to start dropping some bolts and all that. In junior high at this Christian school, I started to notice that some of my friends, some of the students I was hanging out with, these guys were like, this sounds crazy, but they were like swearing. And I, it, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? You guys? And I don't mean like, you know, growing up there are different categories of swears, right? Like there's kind of like, you know, bottom tier, middle tier, and then there's like the F-bomb up here, you know? And so they were like third degree swearing. Like this was like real stuff. And the thing that blew my mind about it the most is that there were no, like they were still alive. There were no like thunderbolts and lightning. Very, very frightening. No, they were still alive. And I was like, this is crazy. Like you can sin and kind of get away with it. That sounds like a really small thing, but that was kind of this gateway to this understanding that I could live my life however I wanted, like Ephesians 2 talks about, just for the cravings of my flesh. And so I started doing my own thing, paving my own path, hanging out with all the wrong people, started partying with my friends, smoking, drinking, doing drugs. By the end of junior high, I was starting to develop uh, an addiction to pornography, breaking commandments with girls, uh, stealing a whole bunch. It's kind of a mess. By the end of grade nine, I wasn't kicked out of my school. Christian schools have like every grade because they like don't have enough students to even fill like one grade of a normal school. But so you, I could continue there, but I wasn't asked to not come, but they weren't like writing letters to my house being like, oh, please send Ryan back. We're desperate to have him here. And you have to understand that's a big deal because Christian schools, like they're broke. We don't have one in Lloydminster. You have to understand they have like no money. So like they'll, they'll pretty much take anyone, but uh, as long as you get the money. So... Um, <laughs> If not, go to the non-Christian school. So anyways, grade 10 started, and this was kind of a, this, this turning point year for me. Things were getting really bad. I was really spiraling out of control. My friends and I had started stealing a lot anywhere we could go, and at school as well. And our school started to notice some people are stealing from, you know, like from the school, from students, and they're like, we got to figure this out. In fact, there was this there was a missions trip happening out of my Christian school, and they started doing some fundraisers. They did some concession booths in the hallway during like recess and lunch and all that. Um, some of these fundraisers, like these concessions, actually like lost money. They had like a net negative amount because people were stealing. I don't know who, but people were stealing. And so uh, it was just this crazy thing. So the school decided to like set up this sting operation. It's kind of a long story. It's kind of interesting if you want to hear it later. But they set up this sting operation, and if, a little bit later, I'm in the office, principal, police officer, um, and kind of getting uh, put through this process of now starting community service and some different things like that. This was like kind of one of the lowest lows. Life was falling apart. School suspended me for a bit. I came back shortly after. It was kind of the end of the year. We had this class called Outdoor Education. Don't know if that still exists, but uh, it was a long time ago. And um, some of friends and I, we were going on this camping trip with some of us in that class, and uh, we decided to get some alcohol and take it on the trip. And we you know, consumed alcohol on the trip, and we got caught. Trip ended early. We showed up back at the school, and then they said, hey, Ryan, we're, uh, you can't, like, you can't go to school here anymore. I got expelled. Um, which, again, is crazy, because they need the money. But anyways, still blows my mind. Um, so I got kicked out, and life was kind of a disaster. And I'm not telling you this story to kind of be like, oh, look at all these sins I did. That, that's not really the cool part. 
But I want you to understand the context of what I was living in. This, this is a disaster. I was like the highest maintenance student that they had in the school. Things weren't looking good. And at this point, I was just like, man, like everything's a mess. I still remember. This is, this is the moment that I remember that makes me think so much about this, this week's topic. I remember my parents and I, my, it was the end of the year, kind of close to the end of the year, so the school was gracious to let me like do schoolwork at home, kind of write my tests and um, not have to like redo grade 10, which is, <laughs> I was very thankful for that. Um, my parents and I were at the school and we're in the hallway this one day because we're getting some schoolwork and talking to some teachers and trying to figure out what that looked like. And there's this teacher and I, I honestly don't remember her name. I don't remember what she taught me. And to, like, to be clear, I don't, I don't really remember what any of my teachers taught me at that point in my life, but I don't even remember what class she taught me. I just, she existed, kind of have this like vague kind of memory of her, but this is what's imprinted in my mind. This is like 20 years ago, I'll never forget this. I remember she was in tears, like crying, and she was giving my parents the work. Sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to act what she was like. This isn't me. Um, <laughs> giving my parents the schoolwork that I needed to do at home. And I remember her, I, like I was in so much trouble with all my teachers. I remember her looking at her, my parents and saying, the reason I'm so sad is because Ryan has so much potential. And I remember just being like, honestly confused. I was like, really? Like, are, I, are you talking about a different Ryan in the class? Like, this is crazy. Look at what I'm doing. Look what I'm up to. I'm expelled. I've been in so much trouble. I'm in trouble with the law. I'm in trouble with the school, with my parents. Everything's a disaster. And I'll never forget this nameless, subjectless teacher. Look at my mom and saying, I believe that Ryan has so much potential. Because in a moment where I felt like no one believed that, and I definitely didn't believe that about my, I thought this teacher was crazy. I remember that just being so life-changing for me. There are a couple people like this lady some of them, I actually remember their names, who, who invested in me like that. No matter what I was going through, no matter how broken I was, didn't look at what I had been, didn't look at what I had done, didn't look at what was going on in my life, but looked at me through the lens of the gospel, looked at me through God's eyes with his love and his grace and said, Ryan, I know what you can do. It'd be easy at that moment for people, and maybe, maybe some people, maybe some of my teachers did believe Ryan will never change. It'd be easy for them to look at me. It would probably be more realistic for them to look at me and say, Ryan's never going to change. He's going to end up in the system. He's going to end up, his life's going to be a disaster. I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm so thankful that it wasn't a bunch of people looking at me and saying, Ryan, people never change. You're, you're a write-off. But there's people like this teacher who stood in the way and said, I know what you can do. Two weeks ago, if you were here, I was talking about the story of this man named Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And I'm just going to recap it a little bit because I think this is such an interesting narrative for so many reasons, but especially with this series. So Jesus is walking through Jericho. He's, he's got places to go, people to see. He's got a huge crowd following him. He's on his way somewhere. He's not stopping in Jericho. He's, he's walking through and he's got this crowd following him, and he's teaching, and they're listening to him, and they're just this fascinating teacher. What's Jesus going to say? As they're following them, this little bite-sized tax collector named Zacchaeus climbs up into a tree so he can see Jesus above the crowd. And Jesus is walking through, and there's Zacchaeus. And in Luke 19, Jesus and Zacchaeus meet. Jesus comes to where Zacchaeus is, and he sees Zacchaeus up in that tree. Now think about who Zacchaeus is. He's this tax collector. People hate him. He's just like, he, he's a write-off in their culture. 
most people know who he is. They know his name. They know what he has done. They know like what he's been doing. They know what burdens him. They know his story. They look at his brokenness. And what do they expect from this broken man? More brokenness. If you just say, do you know what I can do? They'd say, yes, we know what you can do. You can take more of our money. That's what you do. And I'm assuming that most people had kind of relegated him to that, had written him off to be Zacchaeus is this man. He always will be. Steer clear of him. Jesus shows up to this tree, and the text is short, so I mean, I fill in a lot of the conversation in my own mind, but Jesus shows up. He says, Zacchaeus, rather than talking to him the way everyone else does, Zacchaeus, you're this filthy tax collector. You're brutal. You're a jerk. He says, I'm going to come hang out at your house. I want to eat food with you. So I spend my, I, yeah, I'm on, I'm on my way somewhere, but I want to pause and take time to spend with you. The crowd starts to mutter, Jesus, do you know who Zacchaeus? Maybe they're wondering if Jesus goes and hangs out with Zacchaeus, is Jesus going to be infected? Is Jesus going to be like hanging out with this bad influence and he'll turn into this jerk like Zacchaeus? The, their opinion of Jesus drops because Jesus is willing to look at Zacchaeus in a way that no one else will and understand what Zacchaeus can do if he encounters the revolutionary, life-transforming power of the gospel. And so Jesus stops what he's doing. He gives his time to Zacchaeus. He's not harsh with him. He extends love. And this is what happens in Luke 19.8. I love it. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which he had, I will pay back four times the amount. Sometimes I wish I was there and he had ripped me off a lot. Four times the amount, like sweet investment. This is a huge life change. I mean, this is what the gospel does. The gospel changes everything. And this is how Jesus looks at us. He says, yeah, I see your brokenness, but I see what you can become. I see your past, but I see a better future because of the life change that he can bring. This is crazy. Zacchaeus has spent his whole, like, his whole life ripping people off. The, the crowd must be thinking, Jesus, the food he's going to feed you, he's paid for with our money that he's stolen from us. Jesus looks past it, looks, doesn't, ignores the noise, looks past that and says, Zacchaeus, let's hang. And, and Zacchaeus' life is turned upside down. Goes from being maybe one of the most selfish people to one of maybe the most generous people. That's a huge life change. And I mean, this, this, that happens. I mean, that's an allegory that happens all throughout Scripture. I mean, if you read through the narratives of different Bible characters, this is the interaction they have where the world or themselves are telling them they can't. And God approaches them and says, actually, you can. I mean, if you know the narrative of Moses, uh, I think you read about it in the start of Exodus, Moses is talking to God through this burning bush, kind of a crazy story. And God calls him out and says, God, God calls Moses out and says, Moses, you're going to go, you're going to liberate my people from oppression and slavery and bondage, and you're going to do incredible things. You're going to perform miracles. He doesn't give them all these details, but he says, you're going to go. And Moses, what does Moses come back with? He says, uh, like, I'm not, have you heard my public speaking lately? I'm not like that good at, you know, that kind of thing. How often do we do that? You know, it's like, there's this task or this thing. And it's like, well, I've seen other people who are better at this type of thing. They're more artistic. They're better at speaking. They're better at leading. They're, they're friendlier. They're, they're more this. God doesn't want that noise. Moses says, I'm not a very good public speaker. God's whatever, man. You're going to lead them. Moses says, well, who's going to listen to me? 
Moses goes on to be one of the greatest leaders in the history of humanity. He leads millions of people on this crazy journey. And, and I mean, there's so much we can learn from leadership, from the narrative of Moses. And this is a guy who led with excuses. I don't know if it's because other people told him he couldn't. I don't know if it's just because he told himself he couldn't. But God looked at him and said, Moses, I know what you can do. The prophet Jeremiah. God comes to him and says, Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet to the nation Judah as they go into exile. And one of the hardest parts of their journey, this is a pivotal pastoral role. This is a big deal I'm calling you into. And Jeremiah says, "Uh, like, I'm too young. Who told him that? Where did he get that from? You know, Jesus' disciples, Jesus calls Matthew, another tax collector, another selfish, scandalous dude. Jesus goes and calls him. Matthew goes on to write my favorite gospel of the Bible. I'm so glad Jesus called him. I'm so glad he didn't look at him the way the rest of the people did. Look at Peter. I mean, Peter's a train wreck, man. You read his story. This guy's like got all kinds of like emotional and mental imbalances. Jesus doesn't care. This dude goes on to be the guy who preaches the first like real sermon of the early church and 3,000 people in one day have their lives transformed by the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, I preach my heart out for two services on a Sunday. I'm happy if one person has that happen. Peter, 3,000 people in one day, that's crazy. People would have written him off, but Jesus says, no, I know what you can do. Paul has written like half the New Testament. He was a guy who was persecuting the early church. He was trying to make it so that what we're doing this morning, we could not do. Jesus calls him out and says, I know what you can do, Paul. Judas, I mean, Jesus knew that Judas was going to sell him out for some money so that Jesus would die on the cross, but Jesus still approached him with the lens of the gospel and of grace and said, I know what you can do. Man, that's a mentality I want to have, not a people-never-change mentality. It has nothing to do with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with this series. It's personal. We make it personal with people so that we can show up and say, I know what you can do. The gospel changes everything. It's so easy for us to write people off as we get personal, as we get to know them. We can know what makes them tick. We can know all about them. We can understand their DNA. And then we can often write them off and say, well, yeah, I know what you're like. I've heard. I know what's going on with you. But that's not a posture we should take. We should answer these questions, yes, 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 so that we can arrive at this question, do you know what I can do? And give that an emphatic yes and say, maybe not because of what you've done in the past, but because of the life-changing news of the gospel, you can do great things. I am so glad that I had people who looked at me that way in my life. It's actually been um, a cool, leading up to this week has been a really cool thing for me. Like I said, this is, I really feel this week because I needed people in my life who believed in me despite what I, the choices I was making, despite my circumstances, despite the trajectory of my life. And I've actually started processing it over the past couple weeks and thinking about this crazy story that God's brought me through. Like, God, what a wild narrative that I am where I'm at and I used to be where I'm at. Like, how did that happen? And as I've been kind of leaning inside and thanking God for that and spending time praying about that, God started bringing people to mind that he used in my life, like that teacher or other teachers, youth leaders, youth pastor, my parents, friends, and started reminding me of these people he placed in my life who answered this question, yes, rather than writing me off. And I've actually been, I've started spending some time just going online and finding people, teachers from my Christian school, and, and hitting them up, and, you know, especially with my teachers, like, I'll write them a message, and I'll say, hey, like, not sure if you remember me. Um, they all definitely remember me. 
not really for good reasons, but they'll remember me. And then I, I say two things. First of all, I'm sorry. <laughs> Secondly, thank you so much. And I let them know I'm doing all right now. Thank you so much that you didn't give up. Thank you that you continued to believe in me, even when the odds were stacked. Even when it made sense to not believe in me, thank you so much. Here's where I'm at, and I owe a whole bunch of that to you. And it's been a really neat experience for me because it's made me realize how important it is to view people that way and to answer this question, do you know what I can do with a big, huge yes? And take that posture as I look at other people. It's, I'm not just preaching at you guys. It is easy for me to write people off, to not extend grace, to be like, Oh, I've, I've heard about that person. I've seen what they're like. I know what you've done in the past and, and to just be done with people. But I don't think that's what Jesus calls us to. Maybe for you there's this tension, and this is kind of an aside, about, you know, when we talk about being personal, we talk about the mission at FBC to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that mission about people who don't know Jesus who are outside of the church or about people who already do know Jesus who are inside the church, who are already following Jesus? And I would say that the answer is yes. The mission is about people who don't know Jesus yet and it's about people who do know Jesus already. It's kind of like asking, is parenting about making children or about raising children? And the answer would be yes. (laughs) Hopefully you do both of those things well. And that's kind of what our mission is about. We, we should be figuring out ways to intentionally build relationships and invest into people outside of the church, people who don't know Jesus yet, and help them experience the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. But once they join, we don't just stop there. That's why we talk about small groups. We talk about thinking small. So when we talk about thinking big, we invite you guys to engage with us in our mission to serve at FBC. It's not just because we need like a role filled. I mean, yeah, we do, but it's so much more than that. It's actually a tangible opportunity here at FBC to say that I believe in what people can do because of how much Jesus loves them and and actually put in your time and your energy where your mouth is. You know, we talk about serving in different areas, whether it's with cornerstones or small groups around the facility or being involved in FBC kids or being involved in FBC youth as a small group leader. These are all because this actually gives us an opportunity to make it personal and, and to partner with people and say, I know what you can do. I know what Jesus can do through you, and it's great. When I think about it, I mean, all these areas are important. I think about FBC kids and FBC youth leaders a lot when I think about this because that's so deeply personal to me because that is like, those are the people in my life that transformed my life so much that, that, that were there relentlessly, never giving up on me and were there consistently showing me. They didn't even have to say it. I knew that they believed in what I could do. I remember when I was a little kid, I went to, back then we didn't call it FBC Kids. I mean, our church wasn't called FBC, so that'd be weird, but we just used to call it Sunday School. Um, and so um, I had this Sunday School teacher named Mrs. Davies, and she's a sweet old lady. And every Sunday, she'd just give me her time. She'd give us her time, no matter how good or bad we were. And those people were such a huge part of my spiritual journey, and I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for them. Same with Doug. Doug would have had those I said, it's called Sunday school when I was young. I don't know what it was called when he was young. Maybe dinosaur trainers or (laughs) Noah, Adam, I don't know. Um, We had these people who were willing to not only say, well, I believe in what they can do, but I will show you that I believe in what they can do. If you're not serving somewhere at FBC, this this sermon isn't a big buildup to get you to serve, but hop on our app, hop on our website, go to Next Steps, hit serve. We'd love to start a conversation with you about how here at FBC, you can start putting this on the ground in your life. I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly, but I want to fast forward my life a little bit. So I had these people who 
believed in me regardless of the mess I was in. And eventually I became a follower of Jesus. I put my trust into Jesus Christ and then it became very missional in my life. I was like, I want to be that for other people. So some friends and I, we started touring around the world telling people about Jesus Christ, playing rock and roll, telling people Jesus loves you and trying to do that for a long time. And then fast forward a decade, decide to stop touring and I show up in this community called Lloydminster, which is, to be honest, a lot smaller than any town I ever thought I'd live in. And I show up in this random community, and I'm just this long-haired guy who doesn't have any university degree. It's kind of weird looking, probably smells a little funny. Um, don't really have much, well, I didn't have a resume made, but if I made one, I'd be like, cool, can play guitar. Um, not a lot going on in that regard. And I'm thankful at this point I'm already following Jesus. So you could say, well, you know, did people really need to believe in what you could do at that point? And I'm so thankful that for some people the answer was yes. Because like I said, you fast forward to the end of that and along comes this dude named Doug who despite, I'm sure the fact that a lot of people in the church maybe thought the decision was crazy, myself included, probably a wild decision, said, there's a stage. Get up there and why don't you holler at us every two weeks and talk to us about Jesus. And honestly, like that, that's like a, that's a stupid decision, you know, like I, I'm just this, like nobody, no offense, this is, I'm just this random guy, and people probably thought he was crazy, myself included, but Doug said, I, I don't care about that noise, I believe in what you can do, I'm not saying this to like pump Doug's tires or whatever, but it is life-changing when you approach people with this kind of a mentality rather than a people-never-change mentality, and I'm so thankful for the people that have done that in my life. So the series is over. Uh, you can go home and you can forget it. You can do whatever you want with it. I hope that you'll keep it written in your heart to some degree and that you'll desire to make it personal with those around you outside of the church and inside the church. I wanna give you guys two quick homework assignments this week, and then we're gonna sing a song and then we can get out of here. The first one is this. Like I've been doing, spend some time reflecting and asking God to reveal parts of your narrative throughout your life to you. Say, God, like, who are those people that showed up in my life and, and, and approached me like this? That approached me with this, I know what you can do mentality, who saw me through the lens of the gospel. I'm assuming that all of us have had at least one or a couple people or hopefully more that regardless of what's going on in your world, regardless of your brokenness or your situation or what you've done, that have looked at you with grace and have still believed in you and still have been there for you and have been consistent in your life. Spend some time with that this week. And I really want to encourage you to actually reach out to those people. Take them out for lunch and thank them. Write them a letter and thank them. Send them a text message. Find them on social media. Whether it's your parents, your teachers, youth leaders, small group leaders, anybody in your world, a friend, and spend some time thanking them. I think that's a good practice, but it will hopefully bolster your next bit of homework. And your next bit of homework is a little bit broader. And that is go home and say, God, please reveal to me the people in my life that I can do a better job of extending this view that I believe in what they can do, that I am seeing them through the lens of the gospel and who they can become in your grace and your goodness. And say, God, who, who is it? Maybe there are people at work or in your family that you've, you've struggled to extend grace to. Maybe you've cut off some of that grace in your world. And say, God, will you give me just a little bit more so, so that I can be that for them, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they've said, regardless of if they've hurt me personally, how can I do that for them? And I encourage you to ask God to show you that both outside FPC and inside FPC, people who don't know Jesus yet 
And maybe, maybe it's time for you to pick up a volunteer role at FBC and say, God, how can I do that within your church community that you've given me? How can I be those leaders to those people that, that I needed when I was growing up that they need now? So I'd encourage you to think about that. Spend some time reaching out and thanking some people and use that as encouragement to say what those people were to me, I want to be to others. Why don't you guys pray with me? God, thank you so much that you believe in what we can do and you give us opportunities to do great things for you. Thank you that the gospel is the truth, that you don't write us off, that you don't say people never change, but you know that we can change and you offer that to us. I ask and beg that you would turn FBC into a faith community that carries this mentality forward, that we look at the world around us, we look at people within our faith community and outside of it through your eyes knowing that because of your grace, because of your goodness, they can do a lot for you, God. I pray that in Lloyd Minster, if people, if people have no one else that believes in what they can do, no one else that won't give up on them, that they can turn to people here at FBC and know that we will be that for them, that we will be the gospel like incarnate for them. We love you so much, God, and we thank you for this morning. Amen.